space expert and really gave us some interesting perspective on the lunar landing that is set to take place today. Uh, this one, three to five year mission to Mars. My wife suggested I apply. <laughs> Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is Wisconsin's Morning News. Here's your host, Vince Petrano. 812 on Wisconsin's Morning News. You think that since more than 50 years ago we had people walking around up there, this would not be that big of a deal half a century later. But the U.S. has not successfully landed on the moon since those Apollo missions. And it's happening today. So a private U.S. lunar lander is orbiting the moon as we speak, hoping to touch down. Nicknamed Odie, right? Yes. Odysseus? Odie. Yep, Odie for short. It's supposed to land later this afternoon. So what does this mean for the future of space travel, commercial travel? How difficult is what they're doing today do? You know, how difficult is this to be able to even accomplish this? Joining us on the Tri-County Contracting Hotline is Brian Ewenson. He is the Executive Director of Spaceport Sheboygan, and he has also spent many a time in Houston working with the NASA folks and whatnot. Brian, Hello. Hello, good morning. All right, so what's happening today? Let's start with this. How difficult is this? We assume that because this was done 50 years ago... With people. (laughs) That it's just a walk in the park. How much work is put into what they're doing this afternoon? Um, It's never really a walk in the park when we really think about the 50 moon landings, both manned and unmanned vehicles, uh, roughly 50% have failed since 1965. Uh, even though it's only four days away, it's still a pretty good expanse to get over. And the big problem with uh, the moon is there's no atmosphere. So unlike going to Mars where we can do aerobraking, we have to have the uh, retro rockets work all the way to the surface for a successful soft touchdown. Do you have insight, Brian, on the likelihood for success? I mean, failure is part of experimentation, and that's what space, cra- space travel has been for more than half a century. So, I mean, how how likely is it that this is a success? Um, it's uh, basically, it's a, it's a 50-50 uh, in most programs. I was lucky enough to spend nearly 25 years training astronauts in the space shuttle program. And uh, when we look at the space shuttle, for example, there was uh, 2.5 million movable parts our expected reliability was 99%. We still have 2,500 systems failures on a successful flight, all built by the lowest bidder on a government contract. <laughs> okay, and that hasn't percent. changed, right? <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, well, what has, well, what has changed with this one is this is commercial lunar payload services. So uh, basically, this program was created to delegate cargo services to the private sector, which will allow NASA to have uh, better savings, but also stimulate basically a lunar economy where these smaller companies can get uh, skin in the game. Well, Brian, yeah, that's that's another question I have for you. When you have all of these different entities involved, I mean, back in the day it was NASA, and not that NASA didn't have contractors, you know, various contractors, some of whom you've consulted for and worked mm-hmm. with, you know, contributed to that project, but it was like, this was NASA's baby, and, you know, NASA's government allotment now is about one-tenth of what it was back in the day when we were landing on the moon. But how do all of these entities work together? You know, maybe one company's putting the rocket up there and another company designed the lander and then another company might be seeing it down to the surface. How do they all work together to make it happen? 
And um, well, it's a bit of a misnomer that NASA, uh, you know, developed any of these projects like Mercury, Gemini, Apollo, the shuttle. Uh, NASA has never actually built a spacecraft. It's always been contractors, but we're looking at a, a different model of being private sector, uh, not necessarily contractors in the old sense of contractors, but allowing smaller companies, as you say, to get skin in the game. When we look at the CLIPS program, which is what this is called, uh, you know, we got our 23,000 approved acronyms at NASA. So the CLPS is the Commercial Lunar Payload Services Program. Uh, but the companies involved in this these moon landings rate from small companies like Intuitive Machines today, uh, but also SpaceX, Blue Origins, and Lockheed Martin are part of the nine funded CLIPS missions. Um, but they do have to integrate all of their services and programs to make it a make it a success. Uh, so they are competitive, but at the same time, they have to work hand in hand to make it a, a realistic chance of success. Ryan Ewinton joins us on Wisconsin's Morning News. The executive director of Spaceport Sheboygan also spent a quarter of a century training astronauts and whatnot with the space shuttle program. All right, so Brian, when they land, because I'm going to say when, not if, when it lands today and there's a success, then what's the plan? Like, what's what's the expectation with this lunar Mon- I don't know, what would you call it, a rover? Uh, this will actually be a lander. It's going to be uh, where it lands is where it's going to stay. Okay. It'll have about seven days of operations before the, uh, because we're going to the solar, uh, the South Pole, uh, we have limited uh, visibility and light. So we only have about seven days of operations uh, on the surface before we run out of light to keep the project going, but there's uh, nine different experiments from NASA, uh, commercial providers, as well as a variety of universities. Uh, So it will perform science experiments. It's going to be testing uh, technologies as well as demonstrating capabilities that will eventually help us to get people to the moon on Artemis starting in 2027. So, Brian, later this decade, when we, or at least as is scheduled, try to put people walking around on the surface of the moon once again, is that more or less difficult now, more than a half century later? I feel like somehow, because you talked about all the the moving parts on the spacecraft that we've designed, like in some ways, I wonder if it's gotten harder. Um, It certainly has never been easy, and I don't think it's necessarily gotten harder, but in, uh, in a sense... It will be more difficult. We're going to a part of the moon where we've never been. We have extreme light uh, situations, but we are going there for in-situ resource allocation, which is a really big word to say. Uh, There are resources on the moon that are in abundance, but are in rarity here on Earth. Uh, So it is looking at developing, as we say, a wider lunar economy. Uh, Our future astronauts are not going to be fighter pilots and test pilots are going to be geologists Mm -hmm. and miners to help Earth become a better place. Brian, I feel like we've been talking about Mars for 20 years now. I know it's been longer than that, but I feel like the last 20 years it's been like, ooh, we might go to Mars. When when is that actually going to happen? If If you were asked to make a prediction on when a human will step on the red planet, what year would would float into your brain? 
realistically, we're still 25 to 30 years away from that. And it's, and, it, and it's basically, it's not the technology, it's the fact of the human body. A trip to Mars right now with present technology, it's six to nine months to get there. We have to stay a year and a half to two years till the planets line up again and another six to nine month trip home, which means a three and a half to five year mission. The longest any person has spent in space to date consecutively is 427 days, and they came back in a pretty, uh, pretty bad, pretty bad way physically. Right, their bones uh, so shrink and, and whatnot. Their bones shrink, muscle mass loss, uh, radiation exposure. Uh, right now, a trip to Mars would be a one-way trip, and I know we don't use the word morals and ethics with any government most of the time. But as a government <laughs> agent. <laughs> As a government agency, you can't say to an astronaut, we're sending you on a mission where you're 100% not coming back alive. So until we have better, quicker transportation to Mars, I don't think it's going to happen for at least 20, 25 years. Hey, Brandon, while we had you, I wanted to ask you about this report that uh, the agencies who send uh, spacecraft up into Earth orbit are becoming increasingly concerned about all the trash that is just up there floating around, remaining in Earth orbit, but has not fallen back to Earth and burned up on reentry. Um, and it's just sitting up there. And as we have more and more debris up there, that becomes a real problem. Not only if you want to leave Earth orbit and head to the moon or to the Mars, or but if also if you want to put you know, billions of dollars worth of satellites up there, boy, all it takes is one collision running into a piece of space junk, and that can knock that satellite out of service. Is that a serious concern? That's a very serious concern. Uh, not sure if you're aware that the candid arm on the space station actually has a hole just below its elbow joint where a micrometeorite went right through the arm from one side to the other. And had it, had it been maybe two or three feet, or two or three, sorry, two to three inches higher and gone right through that joint, that $110 million arm would have been... Uh, out of commission permanently. Uh, we do have one of the windows on the cupola. There's a significant dent in one of those high-grade optical windows. Uh, there's NORAD is able to track, I believe it's about 60,000 pieces of space junk the size of a softball or bigger, but anything smaller than that we can't track, so it's a very serious concern. Well, how do we get Not it out of there? Can we just deploy a giant space net and just sort of lasso yeah, yeah. it? Huh? Or push it back uh, into the atmosphere somehow? Uh, most recently, uh, Japan, I believe, just sent up a new spacecraft. There's going to be a garbage collector, garbage truck kind of collector. Uh, I'm not sure how that mission is operating just yet, but uh, it's something that we're really going to have to mitigate. Otherwise, we're going to have uh, problems getting to space or staying in space. Well, it remains, what, the most watched television event in the history of humankind? The moon landing. Today will be the second most watched. I'm just kidding. It won't be. <laughs> when we put people up there, it will. You yeah. think so? Yes. Everyone's going to want to see that. All right. Brian, I'm sure you'll be watching. Thank you so much. By the way, Brian, I should mention, uh, Vince here is wearing a t-shirt that says, it is rocket science. You know what I mean? It's got a Had picture a of the space shuttle launching <laughs> into beyond. Well, a lot of us like to say it's not brain surgery. Indeed, it's not. (laughs) Brian Ewinson of Spaceport Sheboygan, the executive director there. Thank you, Brian. Appreciate your time. You're very welcome. Thank you. He's going to have a blast today. This is a Super Bowl. I should ask him. What a great day. Watch party. Why not?
the WTMJ Talk and Text Line, 855-616-1620. number of folks chiming in on our interview that we just had with Brian Ewan. He is a uh, space expert and really gave us some interesting perspective on the lunar landing that is set to take place today. Uh, <laughs> This one, three to five year mission to Mars. My wife suggested I apply. <laughs> Boom! Boom! And this one, actually, I'll be dead before we see Mars. Damn. Yeah, actually, I was disappointed. What did he say? Twenty five to thirty yeah. years at least before a human walks on Mars. <laughs> I don't want to speak for you, but I might not see that. Right? I, that's I unfortunate. I got 20 or 30 left. I have to admit, I was disappointed <laughs> to hear that. That means that uh, the first person to walk on the red planet may be just being born. That's wild to think about. Well, let's get, let's get people back on the moon first. I think that'll be super popular. Something else I want to put back down here on Earth on your radar. <laughs> you thought we were done with this. The exhausting years-long battle over the legislative maps. If there's a place you gotta go, I'm the one you need to know. I'm the map. Map conversation is back. <laughs> Come on. Sorry. Thought we were done with this. Governor Evers, of course, loudly signed the new legislative maps into law that redraw districts for state assembly and state senate earlier this week. It's a new day in Wisconsin. <laughs> yeah, well, if you like that, why stop there? Milwaukee Journal Sentinel reporting, Wisconsin Democratic Governor Tony Evers asking the Wisconsin Supreme Court to take the motion to reconsider the state's congressional maps after redrawing the legislative boundaries, uh, weakened the Republicans' grip on the state legislature. According to the JS report, there was actually already a motion filed by what they call a high-powered Democratic law firm asking the high court in Wisconsin to consider ordering new congressional district maps as well. So let's break it down in Wisconsin. I won't get into the wonky legal argument that they're using because this is already excruciating enough, right, (laughs) with the maps and the boundaries. What do we have? We have eight congressional districts in Wisconsin, and six of them currently occupied by Republicans. Mm -hmm. Fair to certainly call the district in southwest Wisconsin competitive. Two districts that are firmly Democrat— um, that one, you know, that covers Dane and Milwaukee County of Congresswoman Gwen, Gwen Moore's seat, very safe in yeah. Milwaukee. Pocan And then Pocan in, in Madison. Yep. And then the southwest corner of the state, now you have uh, Van Orden. Congressman Van Orden just won that. That was a seat held by Democrats for many years. Yeah, Ron Ron Kine. Kine. yeah for many years. So I would call that still a competitive, very purple district. And then maybe Mike Gallagher's district in Green Bay, just because Green Bay is a Democratic stronghold, city of, but, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. the outlying areas are not. Those are more Republican. Maybe that would be a little more competitive. And then the other districts are, are largely not. Although, Wisconsin's first congressional, which is now Brian Style, was... That's a uh, unique one. That's right. a really strange little district that's obviously been read for that congressional seat a long time, but... Went for Biden last yeah. time around in yeah. the presidential election. And has so, gone for Obama, too. Right. So... Nonetheless, they've liked their members of Congress to be Republicans, or maybe just those were better candidates. It was Paul Ryan's seat for many years mm-hmm. before Style took over. A lot of over. people liked Ryan. Right. So, okay, maybe even if you wanted to make that a competitive district. So right now, again, it's 6-2 majority for Republican les- representation. But you do still have to, just because we're a 50-50 state or a purple state, doesn't mean you're right to redraw all sorts of maps in what is to reflect that. You still have to respect geography. And with Democrats so highly concentrated in both Dane and Milwaukee counties, and then so much of the rest of the state, I mean, how could you draw some of these districts to make them, quote unquote, more competitive? You could. You could divide up, you know, the Milwaukee district that Congresswoman Moore is Carve it north or south. Right. She could have to, you know, kind of encroach on some area that Congressman Grothman has northwest of the city, I suppose. 
Or you could go south into the... But does the, that actually help get you another seat somewhere else? Right. And does it serve the people of Milwaukee? Milwaukee, the city of Milwaukee's interests are far different than some rural outstate hmm. interests. You could draw you could draw a district that goes from the Mississippi to Lake Michigan. It could be five miles wide. I know. I've used this, <laughs> you know, I've used this is analogy. Is that right? I've used this analogy already this morning, but is the juice worth the squeeze? It seems like there'd be a lot of energy and time for maybe flipping a seat... I don't know this morning whether the high court will address it, but we are not done hearing about the maps. I'm the map. 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 I'm sorry. Why don't you just tell me what you'd like to talk about this segment? Giles County, Tennessee. <laughs> Eric and I had a moment of, wait, wait, were we doing this year or what, what there? Just trying to get our arms around this cellular dumping, this whole network issue with the cell phones. We're going to bring that back. Well, because the, the, okay, the important question now that we know, you know where it's all affecting people and, and how they get about their day without cellular data or using the phone that way is also like, what the hell is this? Yeah. Is this the the coming cyber attack that we were warned about literally a couple of weeks ago? Comes on the heels of the FBI director and others saying, hey, something might happen or will happen. Eventually, we need to be prepared for it. So is that what this is? Nobody said that out loud yet, but we're just openly pontificating and asking. And asking because that was something that the FBI director said before Congress. He testified it a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Giles County, Tennessee. Lily Baker. She's an 18-year-old high school senior driving... In her car by herself. She pulls up to some train tracks. The gates are going down in this area. So you know what that's like, right? Yep, there are the sounds. I'm familiar with the sound mm-hmm. of the gates, yes. So she sees an older woman crossing the train tracks. And she has a wheelchair. And she's trying to, like, stand up kind of and move the wheelchair. She's not a paraplegic or anything, but she uses a wheelchair. But she's So she's trying to get the... Trying to stand up and like walk with the support of the wheelchair to not get across. Not getting across the tracks here, right? Yeah, and okay. it's yeah. not it's not happening. And I was like, oh, well, I, I got to do something now because nobody's helping her. So she, that's uh, Lily there, News Channel 5 in Nashville. So Lily gets out of her car, tries to pull the lady to safety. They end up falling over. And this, by the way, the tracks are down now. They're in the middle of the tracks, and the train is on its way. He was honking his horn, and the lot started flashing. I was like, oh, no. Like, we're, we got to go now. <laughs> what, is, what is happening? Here's what the police chief had to say. They fall on the tracks. The train's coming. Lily's able to get up, grab the lady by her jacket, and pull her out of the way, barely getting herself out of the way. And the train actually still clips uh, the lady's leg and spins her around. Yeah, they actually spun out of the way. They got clipped by the train. Me and her fell right here, and she lost her shoes. They went flying that way, and I lost my shoe, and it went this way, and the train come barreling. Baker says the railroad people told her she was 18 inches away from getting hit by this train. The wheelchair, by the way? destroyed. Yeah, that of course. Got pummeled by the train. The police chief was like, oh my God. When he showed up, he said he was in awe. Bravery comes in all shapes and sizes. You don't have to be a 6'5 guy that's muscled up to get out and do something. This is a little, small, young woman, and she done 
what most people wouldn't do. So what would you have done, right? Like, it's again, it's that whole adage that we talk about. What would you do in that situation? If you pulled up to the train track, see this woman struggling to get across, and you can see the train, you can hear it honking, she got out of her car and went and saved this lady's life. And it ended well. Yes. Like, they were, like you said, foot and a half from it ended not yeah. so well. Just got her out in time. The old lady says, thank you, thank you, thank you. But as you know, the hero in this story says, mm, it's okay. I tell her that I'm thankful for her. She don't have to be thankful for me because I'm grateful for her. Life's been a little dark. But it's like the sun over there. It's golden. Oh, I love this lady. But see, Good kid right there. Just one time. See, this is what I keep asking for. Just one time I want the hero to be like, <laughs> yeah, you're damn right. I'm Batman. <laughs> you're lucky I was there. Right. I'm in, I'm the Hall of Justice here. I'm Justice <laughs> League is what I am. And y'all are lucky that I was here. Wonder Woman's got nothing on me. <laughs> ah, I found the bite I was looking for. Okay, remember Director of the FBI, Christopher Wray, yeah. talking before the House Select Committee on China. This is just a few weeks ago. PRC hackers are targeting our critical infrastructure, our water treatment plants, our electrical grid, our oil and natural gas pipelines, our transportation systems, and the risk that poses to every American requires our attention now. So that was just a few weeks ago talking about the cyber attacks that are that are coming from china not like well they might think about this they might do it like this is this is going to happen in our country we have to be ready for that whether that this massive phone outage across the country is related to that no one said what concerns me heretofore is oftentimes if you have a major computer outage it can be anything it can be you know one of your people errors Somebody hits the wrong thing. Yeah, somebody someone, closed out of something. Someone bumped the keyboard on accident. <laughs> right. Old Johnson over there thought he was closing out Candy Crush. Instead, he shut down the whole thing. <laughs> Whatever. Damn it, Johnson. Jeez, this guy going? again. So that can happen. Some of the airline outages that we've seen, those weren't hackers. They were people who made mistakes. Or right, right. something didn't update in the software system. So I'm not saying it has to be that. But what we haven't heard from AT&T on this massive cellular outage is, yeah, we know where that is. Right. We know what's happened here. So they, AT&T has said they are obviously aware of this. Uh, T-Mobile, Verizon have also have had some issues, but they now say that they were unaffected by the AT&T outage. AT&T says some parts of, it net, of its network are beginning to recover, but it didn't have a time frame for when everything will be back and fully restored. So it could just be a thing. You know, it could be, uh, this has happened before. This is un, not unprecedented by any means. Yeah, I just feel like when we have major computer outages that affect things of some kind, we kind of early on have a, we know what this is. It's not a, we don't know what happened. It's a, we don't know. Maybe you don't know how to fix it right now, or we're trying to get this back online, but you yeah. kind of have some idea of how this happened. I'm not saying it has to be that, right, but that is definitely first thing that came to my mind. Well, it has to be now. <laughs> when you testify before Congress that this is something that may happen soon or is imminent, of course that's what the, the first alarm bell is going to be is, oh, is this, is this what he told us was eventually going to happen is happening. I want to bring back the story I mentioned earlier from Waukesha. We've got another potential organized crime ring out of Chicago targeting Waukesha. And this time it was some guys trying to clean out a Meyer store Wednesday afternoon. Now, what's interesting is, in this case, stupidity once again and really bad luck followed these criminals once again and helped foil the crime. 
But just this weekend, we were talking about those guys who hit the high-end car dealership in Waukesha. What do they steal? Nine cars, luxury cars, Porsche, BMW, Land Rover. So they ripped these cars from the dealership and likely only ended up getting chased initially. They would have figured it out eventually that these cars were stolen, but they stole them in the dark of night or early morning hours and at least initially got away with it until... Young kids with masks on, all filling up luxury vehicles at 6.30 in the morning. Um, it's odd. All these car thieves stopped for gas at the same gas station right, yeah. right outside of the zoo interchange, still wearing their criminal, criminal masks. Like ski masks and stuff. Somebody saw that and said, that doesn't look right. Called authorities <laughs> and whatever. So today's story is about what happened Wednesday afternoon. According to Waukesha Police, you had officers calling out to the Myers store, big store on Sunset Drive. All the Myers are huge, right? If you've ever been in one. For a report that they got of several people, here's this from the report, loading a garbage bag and tote with numerous over-the-counter medicines. Now, I get that we have been allowed to steal for the last several years things with absolute impunity all over the country. You can walk into the Walgreens and clean the place out, walk out, and the employees can complain that it happens every day, but nothing ever happens. So I get that that's happening, but don't you at least try to hide it a little bit? Be a little bit more discreet. Is it that hard to try to <laughs> to try to hide it? Does that you be an extra a, step? You brought in a trash bag and you're just putting stuff in there. So police were notified. They say they get there to the scene and they come on these guys in the parking lot. A police sergeant from Waukesha was hit by another vehicle that was not involved in this as there's chaos in the parking lot. That sergeant is going to be okay, by the way. But then you've got another police officer who takes off in pursuit. So the vehicle comes flying out of the parking lot there in Waukesha at this mire, and these guys take off driving away from the cops. Chase goes a few miles into the village of Waukesha, and then... Oh, <laughs> you've no. never driven around Waukesha. Yeah, there's a train or two. <laughs> train tracks all over, <laughs> at grade crossings all over Waukesha, and these clowns got stopped at a train. So they got no place to go. They tried off-roading it now with police in pursuit. Here's yeah. from the report. The vehicle traveled southbound along the railroad tracks, then into a field, got stuck in mud and water. Police put a dog out after him. All four eventually were caught, taken into custody. They're saying they're all adults. A dog got into one of the suspects pretty good. That person ended up in the hospital, but they arrested four adults. And here's the line from the police report. We believe this to be an organized retail theft, theft crime group from Illinois. All four subjects have home addresses in Chicago. And they said the stuff that they recovered at the scene was consistent with what was being stolen That's from interesting that there's some Is there something there, there that Chicago, these guys are like, oh, you know what? It might be easier. If we just head up to Wisconsin. Drive an hour and a half to Waukesha. It seems interesting that they would target Wisconsin. Well, especially Waukesha. I can pick, pick a lot better places to steal stuff from. <laughs> right Here they called the police and they actually went after you. 852 on Wisconsin's Morning News. WTMJ, W277-CV, and WKTI-HD2 Milwaukee. From the Annex Wealth Management Studios. This is News Radio WTMJ, a good karma brand station. WTMJ forecast sponsored by Dave Drake Camp Heating, where your comfort is their family's tradition. 55 degrees. How's that for a high temperature away from the lake? This is a cooler near the lake day with lakeshore temperatures topping out at 48 degrees. Wow. Another warm one. 
WTMJ Steve Scafidi is in this house right now. Political Power Hour just ahead. You got the governor coming on with you. Yeah, and lots. Do you of want my list of questions or no? Real quick, real quick. <laughs> you have yours. So no, good. Basically, what the Republicans did on Tuesday, they they split all these tax measures into four pieces, so he can pick and choose. There's one for uh, retirees, 65 and older. There's one for married couples. It would increase the tax credit from 480 to 780. Uh, another one would expand the credit for child dependent care, and of course, the, the big one is the tax brackets. First question out of the gate is. How do you define middle class? Because his his definition is way out of sorts from where I'm looking at. So that's going to be the question I'm going to ask the governor in, in a little bit. It's funny. I've talked to people about that because we're all like, yeah, we, sh- we need to tax the rich more. We need to tax the rich more. And then you discover, oh, wait, I'm the rich? Yeah. No, no. I, th- I, I, I didn't know I was right. I thought it was them. <laughs> yeah, tax those other guys. 857 Political Power Hour with Steve Scafidi is up next.